0: The other one's too short. Not saying anything about Garth, but <laughs> I, need, I need to be able to see a little higher. Thank you. Okay. How's everyone doing? Didn't sound very good. That's better. So my sermon is titled, The Mysterious Union. Ooh. There's a new show on ABC called Resurrection. Who's been watching this show? One, two two people, that's three? And now you're all coming out, yeah, I've watched it. It's a good show. It's about a young boy, a young American boy named Jacob, who randomly wakes up somewhere in China. After some time, Jacob is brought back to his home in Arcadia. And this is where it gets really bizarre. The, office, the uh, immigration officer who brings him to his suburban family home knocks on the door, and a long-faced, gray-haired old man answers. The officer says, we got good news. Your missing son, Jacob, we found him. The old man's face immediately changes. Is this some kind of sick joke? That's impossible, he says with unshakable certainty. My son has been dead for 32 years. In a very emotional and mysterious scene, the boy Jacob runs out from behind the fence he was hiding behind and hugs his dad and without hesitation says, Hello, Dad. As the show progresses, more and more people start to just appear out of nowhere. A really bizarre part of the show was they actually dug up the boy's body and he was still there wearing the exact same shirts that he was wearing in that scene. Weird. How? Why is this happening? It's a mystery. It's veiled. We don't know yet. We'll wait for season two. Maybe we'll get an answer. The Bible is a book that's also filled with mystery. Why do we sacrifice lambs in the Old Testament? Why all the detailed instructions about uh, how to build tabernacles and temples? Why does the Bible tell the Israelites what they can and cannot eat? It's kind of mysterious. Why would God put that in his word? All these mysteries serve as a sign. And the sign points us towards the big picture the real reason. And the key to understanding the mystery is Christ. The mystery of God in Christ is unveiled. What is this mystery? The mystery is this. Christ is in you. You are united with Christ if indeed you have been saved and are a Christian. This is our hope of glory. We're going to go through this scripture piece by piece, and try to unpack the mystery and, and uh, understand what is the purpose and uh, application for us today. So verses 24 to 25 read like this. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. So there he is. The mighty apostle of God himself, writing to the Colossians from a gloomy prison cell. Yet, he says, in my sufferings, I rejoice. I rejoice because God has made me a steward, a minister of a wonderful mystery which is to make the word of God fully known. That's what God had called him to, to make the word of God fully known. What is that? The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So here's what's been happening in Colossae. False teachers had been enticing believers with all their talk about mysteries and secret knowledge, like a YouTube video. So Paul, like the great defender of faith that he was, uses their own terminology. He says, there is no more mystery. There is no mystery. Because God has openly revealed his truth to his people. God had made Paul the steward of this supposed mystery that had been hidden for ages and generations, and saints, the likes of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Uh, David and Isaiah and Daniel, these saints, they longed to just peer into the mystery. Just, God, give me a little, little bit of vision here about this mystery. Remember in the book of Daniel, God said, seal up the vision, for the time has not yet come. God, just give me, nope, seal it up, Danny. Seal it up, not yet. And here is Paul, whose purpose is, whose, whose purpose was, rather, to make the word of God fully known. This mystery that God had told the prophets, seal it up, not yet, it's coming. Paul says, this is my ministry, to unseal and to make known this mystery, to expose it. The mystery of God is the central message of the word. The word and the mystery are one. So let's understand that from the beginning. And the central message of the word is Christ. When I was a new Christian, I had a lot of questions. Who else had a lot of questions? Were you that annoying guy always calling the pastor? Was that you? That was me. One of my biggest questions had to do with the deity of Christ. How could uh, Jesus be God and also a man? I'm a man, and I'm not God. See, I had a kind of an ego complex. How could he be God but not me? It just didn't make sense. I'd been listening to sermons and reading all kinds of material online, and I just couldn't have seen the grasp of this God-man mystery. Then I had a bright idea. Why don't I just open the Bible and read it? Let the Bible do the speaking. Maybe, just maybe, something is in there that might be able to uh, shine some light on this mystery I couldn't understand. And then I had an aha moment, as if a light bulb just exploded in my mind. It all started to make sense. Of course, Jesus is God. Only God can do the things Jesus did. Only God can absorb the wrath of God, die, and then come back to tell us all about it. The finite cannot take the infinite penalty. That's why it's infinite. Never ends. But the infinite God could, and he did. And in that moment, God was pleased to reveal to me a great mystery I could not understand. The Holy Spirit made the word of God fully known to me. The word of God has the answer. God is the revealer of truth. Anything that seems mysterious to us, it's just basic knowledge to him. He knows it. So when you seem perplexed and confused, remember, in Christ, all the wisdom of God dwells. He is the central message of God's Word. All of life, all of history find their climax, their yes, their amen, in Christ. In 2006, a book and movie, DVD, was released called The Secret, which claimed to reveal the secret used by history's most Successful people. So, let me ask you, what was this secret knowledge? Only known by a select, elite, special few? What's the secret? It wasn't Christ, according to them. The secret was if you can think it, you can have it. Now, I don't need to tell you how ridiculous and dangerous that is. If that were true, a lot of people would just be dropping dead. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Nobody in this room, I hope. But what if, I'm, what if I want to kill you? And I think it, and it doesn't happen. It, it's, it's, it's not true. People place their hope on this secret. I want a, a jet. It doesn't happen. Can someone look in there? Is there a jet? Did I get my jet? No, I didn't. People place their hope on this stuff only to be let down time after time after time after time. Don't allow false teach. There's even so-called Christian teachers who teach this nonsense that, that turn God into a, a cosmic ATM machine. Put in your prayer time. Put in your, your Bible reading debit card and God will give you what you want. No, it's not true. Don't place your faith in this new age nonsense. The mystery of God, the secret knowledge of God, it's Christ. It's him. It's it's the person of Christ. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this was Paul's whole purpose in his life and his ministry, was to reveal the union with God that we have in Christ. To them, God chose to make known How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery? Verse twenty-seven. Why did God choose to reveal this mystery to His saints? By the way, for those uh, in the room who aren't familiar with the term saints, it it does not refer to us a super spiritual Christian. It's simply any Christian. So, with that said, we could speculate why God chose to reveal it to His saints. Because He loves His saints. Because He's gracious. Because he sees we are weak and we need help. And all those reasons are true. Yet Paul just seems to say here, look, the reason why is because he chose to. John Calvin put it most bluntly when he said, The good pleasure of God ought to be perfectly sufficient for us as a reason. Because it pleased him. Because he wanted to. Because he chose to. As far as I'm concerned, the reason why God chose us is irrelevant to what he chose us to. He chose us to share in all the riches of the glory of the mystery of God, which Paul tells us is Christ in you and me, the hope of glory in you. Remember who this Christ is. Remember a few weeks ago, Garth was preaching about the boss, Jesus, the boss of creation, Jesus, the boss of, that's all I remember. Sorry, Garth, when you're you're listening to this. But Jesus is the boss. That's the point. That's what he wanted us to know, that Jesus is the boss. He's the image of the invisible God. It's by Jesus, through him, and for him, that all things find their existence. He causes the sun to burn in all its intense heat. Jesus causes that. He holds the life of every creature, you and I, our dogs and cats, in his hand, our heartbeat. Kings bow down to his sovereignty. And now Paul says the mystery that was hidden for ages is that guy is in you. Wow. The hope that Paul Paul speaks of here is this: a reasonable and confident expectation of a future event. Our hope isn't uh, just some abstract idea. It's a confident expectation of a future event, something real. Because we've been knit together, because we've been fused and bonded to Christ, we have confidence when he comes back. Christ is in us now and at his coming, the fullness, the fullness, the fullness of the glory of God will be our dwelling. As Paul says here, look at this scripture, okay? This blows me away. When Christ, who is your life, Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Isaiah saw God in his glory, he fell on his face and wished to die because it was too much. Yet, it says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will, be, will appear with him in glory, basking in it, us in Christ, not falling down and wishing we were dead, but fully confident, because Christ is in us now. Shortly after God had revealed to me the mystery of the deity of Christ, I was, an, again, a, a, an annoying church man and had another issue with my faith, another question I, I need these answers. I believed that Jesus was God in my head. I, I understood that the Bible taught that and I believed it. But practically speaking, when I prayed, I was a little bit apprehensive about praying to Jesus. So I thought, you know, if I only pray to the Father, I'll be safe, right? I'm, I'm good. Then one day I decided to ask the Father. I said, Father, Can I pray to Jesus? Is that cool with you? Is that appropriate? And the response was almost immediate. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Of course. Of course I could pray to Jesus. If if Jesus is in me, he's right here. He's right here. I can talk to him. He's only a prayer away. Of course you could pray to Jesus. I'd read this passage before, but I never seemed to to, to take it into consideration. Again, God revealed the answer to the mystery I could not understand, and the answer was Christ. Do you see a pattern happening? How Christ is always the answer to the problems we face in life? He's the central thesis of the Bible, all of history. Christ is our hope. He's the the answer to all of life's difficult questions. Look, and I know what's immediately happening in our heads here. Well, what about suffering? What about sex trafficking? What about abortion? What about evil? How is Christ the answer to that? I can't tell you why God allows such evils to occur, but... When I look to Christ, I don't see a distant God who is disconnected from the realities of evil in our world. All the other gods I have looked up and studied are out there looking down. Jesus Christ is the only God who human beings cannot point up to and say, You don't understand pain. The only God. We cannot point up to Christ and say, you don't understand pain. As a matter of fact, he could point down to us and say, you don't understand pain. You don't understand pain. He knows firsthand what evil men are capable of. He died at their hands, didn't he? Christian rapper Stephen the Levite rhymed this. I think it's brilliant. The sum of our pain is not equal to the hurt's of the son who was hung on a tree and was cursed. <laughs> this is the Christ who is in you. This is him. He gets you. He understands you. Your pain, he knows at times infinity. He knows. He, he understands. He, he loves you. And although we might not always understand why these things happen to us, he does understand. In our union with him, as far as I'm concerned, is hope enough. The word of God that Paul was made, uh, called to make fully known has as its complete fullness Jesus Christ. He is the substance of the mystery hidden for ages, and in him is our hope. Paul continues in verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. This makes a preacher's life so much easier. I don't have to stand up here and come up with with uh, clever sayings. I just have to proclaim him. Him we proclaim. Christ is the proclamation. It's him. He's the center. Christ is the message. Christ is the gospel. Christ is the salvation. To save all people from all kinds of people. Not all people. I'm not going there. That's not what I believe. His pl- Christ is the one who saves people from all nations. That's what I wanted to say. Not all people. He's the redemption of creation. It's Christ. He's the Savior. He's the Redeemer. He's the King. He's Lord. He's God. Him we proclaim. Christ. That's why I can't stand to listen to Old Testament sermons that tell me about how great Jacob was. He wasn't that great. Christ was great. And Christ is God. So talk about God. This is why Paul proclaimed Christ right here. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. The word present here means to formally bring or introduce into the presence of another. Who is this somebody that Paul wants to introduce? It's Christ. He's the one that we'll stand before. And he's the only one we need. When we have Christ, we have every tool to live a holy life. In the prayer meeting this morning, I prayed this equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's all we need. As a matter of fact, that's all we have. Four times in five verses, Paul talks about this indwelling uh, of Christ, this theme, and again, he's repeating it. To be presented in Christ. In Christ. I'm a big fan of bodybuilding, and when I was a kid, I was very skinny. Skinny would actually be a nice way to put it, Uh, I was a skeleton with skin, I was a bone rack, my arms were the same size as my legs, see? (laughs) Embarrassing. Because of my twig-like appearance, I was often made fun of in school. Uh, After all, what could Twig Boy do? What could Twiggy do? Nothing. At this point, I had two options. I could accept my fate as Twig Boy, or I could do something about it. That's really all I could do. So, I chose to do something about it. And in the summer between grade 10 and 11, I hit the gym, I ate an unhealthy amount of tuna, I drank protein shakes like water, and I packed on 40 pounds. <laughs> so, the first day of school, I strutted in a new man. Six foot one, 180 pounds. Guess what happened? All of a sudden, the bullies wanted to be my friend. How convenient. So what was the difference between 139-pound Allen and 180-pound Allen? It wasn't the food I ate. It wasn't the the, the things I picked up and put back down. It wasn't that. It was the preaching that I listened to. It was what I heard proclaimed. Don't be deceived. Church is not the only place that you will come to hear preaching. You hear preaching all through the week. The commercials you watch the movies you watch, are all preaching a message to you. I listened to the preaching of the bodybuilders telling me the way of muscularity, how to eat, how to lift, how to be disciplined. The way to muscular maturity was what I put in my head. And what I put in my head was acted out. And 40 pounds later, no more bullies. There's no other way. Proper nutrition, proper lifting, good sleep, that's it. You want to get in shape, you want to lose weight, don't buy the pill. Just work hard. That's the only way. Paul knows if he preaches any other way but Christ, it will fail. Just like if you try any other crazy weight loss method, it will fail. You might lose a little bit of weight, but guess what? It's coming back. It will come back, I promise. Christ is the only hope. He's the only proclamation. He's the only preaching that can save us. Preaching Christ was the only way that the Colossians could be mature. Paul was not interested in giving them six steps to fix their marriage. He was not interested in helping them to live their best life now. He said, Christ, we proclaim that you may be mature in Christ. Look at this. The structure It's literally a Christ sandwich. It starts with Christ and it ends with Christ and you are in the middle. I don't think the structure was a mistake. I think Paul was trying to tell us something here. What are you putting in your head? The knowledge of Christ, who he is, what he's done, or the knowledge of the world? You're struggling with sin, gossip, lust, anger, bitterness, whatever it is, stop feeding your sin and start feeding your mind with Christ. You cannot gain muscular maturity without proper nutrition. In the same way, you cannot gain spiritual maturity without proper mental nutrition. You can't do it. There's only one way. It's Christ. So order yourself a Christ sandwich, Christ at the top, Christ at the bottom, you in the middle, and munch on that all day. What does that look like? When you're driving to work, turn off the radio, pop in a Bible CD. When I'm on the Stairmaster, burning calories, I'm reading my Bible. I lost 25 pounds and read the whole Bible in six months. It's it's not that difficult to always be feeding your mind on Christ. There are down times during the day when you're waiting at the doctor's office or the dentist or whatever. Look, who has a cell phone? Okay, okay. You have a Bible on your phone. There's no excuse to not read it. 20 years ago, you had to carry around a big, thick book. Now it's on your phone, for crying out loud. There is no excuse why we keep feeding our sin and we're not feeding on Christ. All of the resources are there for us to use, so, so use them. When I'm at work, I, I walk around the parking lot and push shopping carts. I pray. What else am I going to do? I pray. Just think of these creative ways where you can just always be feeding your mind on Christ. It's not that hard. It just takes a little bit of creativity, and it goes a long way. His presence, His teaching, His character feed on that stuff. The mystery of God is revealed to us. It's Christ in you, He's in you, so feed on that. He's the hope of glory. Paul finishes in verse 29 by saying, for this I toil, excuse me, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Okay, let's do a little exercise here, not physical. It's too early for that. Look at the person to your left. You don't have anyone on your left, but just look anyways. Look at the person to your right, and let me ask you a question. Are you toiling? Are you struggling with all of the energy of Christ that's in you to ensure that those people you just looked at are presented mature in Christ? Do you even care? Are we praying for one another? Are we struggling with one another? Are we sharing Christ with one another? Are we lending a hand? Are we struggling in prayer for one another? That we might present one another mature in Christ. On that final day, I want to look over and see Jeff. I want to see Alec. I want to see Chung and Dave mature in Christ. Being presented mature. That's why we preach. That's why we do this stuff. For the same reason that Paul did it, that he might present them mature in Christ. Paul was suffering every day. He wrote to the Colossians from a prison cell. Yet in his sufferings he rejoiced because God had made him a steward of this mystery that's been hidden and now revealed. And this mystery is our great and awesome hope of the day of redemption. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. That's what we preach. We preach Christ because in Christ all the glory of the riches of God dwell. In Christ we have everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I'm not good at math, but I know that equation works. A man recently handed me a gospel track at the mall, and I said, hey, I'm already a Christian, but thanks anyways. You know what he said to me? He didn't say give it back. He said this, you are the richest man on earth. And he's right. And so is he, and so are you. If you are in Christ, you have everything. Eternal life, the very life of the giver of life, is in you if you are in Christ. Boom. Head explodes. In Christ we have eternal life. This is why we preach Christ. Because it makes us mature. It prepares us for the consummation of our hope when he comes back. We're prepared. Because we're feeding on Christ. We're ready when he comes back. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he comes back? you will find it here if we feed on Christ. Like Paul, God called us to be stewards of the mystery of God, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is the message. Christ is the food we feed on. And Christ is the power to fulfill this calling, to present one another mature in Christ. So really, it's all about him, isn't it? I want to do a count of how, much, how many times I use the word Christ in this sermon. Probably a lot. Probably a little bit too much. But you get the point. There's, there's no such thing as too much Christ. I take that back. <laughs> but he's the point. He's the point. And if he's not the point, I don't want to be here. He's the point. God has revealed this mystery. It's union with Christ, our hope of glory. Are you united with the king this morning? Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for hope, the confident expectation of a future event, which is your coming, to redeem us once and for all, to finish the work you started. Lord, let us be people who care, people who love one another, people who toil and struggle for one another, for the believers, and for the unbelievers. Lord, you are the power in us. Work through us. We're weak. We need you. We need you desperately. Look out into the congregation, Lord, you see. Change the hearts that are hard. Soften them. Perform open-heart surgery on us, Lord, and change our hearts. Take out the the cold heart of stone and replace it with the soft heart of flesh that we might feel and, and love one another. I pray this for everyone, Lord, including myself. Give us strength to struggle with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.